And I have learned again in recent days that I am not the sanguine, relaxed, easygoing person that I sometimes imagine myself to be. And the occasion for this renewed insight has been the replacement of our church computer server, <laughs> along with the upgrading of software systems and so forth. What was assumed to be a 48-hour project is now entering its third week. And it's been a dreadful experience with communications being disrupted and programs and ministries adversely affecting just about anyone who's had to deal with this at any level, finding themselves being particularly uh, testy might be a kind word for what it's been. And I've found myself resorting to some of the most basic instincts that most of us have, and it's not pretty. I've wanted someone to blame. I've wanted some consequence for the disruption we've experienced. Heads will roll. <laughs> and I can hear my 16-year-old daughter, Joanna, saying, first world problems, Dad. First world problems. Take a chill pill and other remarks equally pertinent and equally unhelpful in getting me to calm down, because anger begets anger. So I, I was driving along Ponsley on someone, one huge SUV taxi pulled out, turning right on red, came into two lanes. I laid on the horn. He gesticulated in an unattractive fashion. And my reaction... I had, to, I had to, instead of just letting it go, which I, was, I think what I'd normally do, I found myself just ready to bite someone. I mean, and, and I had to make a conscious choice not to respond in some way. Ridiculous, but real. And such tribulations remind me of something I really don't care for in myself. We all have some very basic functional theology at work in us, even when we have moved on intellectually. Most of us believe that hard work should be rewarded, wrongdoers should be punished, good things should flow to good people, and the like. I read an obituary of Margaret Thatcher, who was uh, recalling that she was explicitly motivated by such truisms from her early religious upbringing, and one wag called it the Methodism in her madness. One of those basic intuitions that most of us carry at some level, where we, whether we know it or not, because we breathe it in the air, is the idea that violence can somehow be redemptive or somehow make things better. If someone bullies you, hit them back harder. The best defense is a good offense. We recognize this reality and we do our best to manage it as a society, outlawing vigilantes and individual vengeance, making use of courts and, when necessary, prisons. Some say that we subsume some of our violent tendencies into sport. But what we know is that free-floating rage can lead to all kinds of escalation when computers mess up or traffic is stressful. Our anger begets such things as violence and coercion and demonstrations of power and all kinds of unintended consequence. And so it was for Paul in the story of the Philippian jailer. He and Silas were being tailed by a slave girl who had what they understood to be a spirit of divination. She brought her owners a great deal of money through telling fortunes. And she followed Paul and Silas and their companions around for a number of days, shouting, These men are slaves of the Most High God who proclaim to you a way of salvation. And Paul, after a few days of this, was fairly irritated understandably. 
It's as though a chihuahua had grabbed his ankle and it wouldn't let go. And so after some days, the scripture tells us, Paul, very much annoyed, we are told, probably an understatement, cast out the spirit from the woman. It's almost like a backhand. What we might think to be a good thing set into action a chain of unintended consequences. She became useless to those who were exploiting her. They dragged Paul and Silas before the magistrates. Racism, norms and mores and coercion all come into play. They're Jews, for God's sake. They're advocating things illegal for Romans, namely denying the cult of the emperor. They're disturbing the peace. And then the crowds join in. Group think always so productive of bad things. The crowd join in and Paul and Silas are stripped and beaten and flogged and thrown in jail. The cycle of violence in all its glory. Now in this story, we tend to focus on the profound act of grace that took the form of an earthquake, not worrying too much about how many people were killed or homes destroyed. In this story, the only effect was that the doors of the prison were thrown wide open as the foundations of the prison were shaken. Paul and his companions responded to their apparent good fortune by seeming to act against their interest, and not only staying put, but staying the hand of the jailer who was about to take his own life, afraid of the authorities who'd ordered him to keep the prisoners secure. They chose to respond to this grace in a way that broke the cycle of violence and led to the reorientation of the life of his jailer and his entire household toward that grace. The foundations of the prison were indeed shaken not only by a mighty act of God, but also by human response, by Paul's response in choosing to stay put. Friends, the mechanisms by which we try and manage the world through coercive violence were unveiled on Good Friday, shown for what they were, and resisted by the one who refused to countenance those ways by his silence during his trials and even at the cost of his own life. It is for us as well to choose the ways of life and find ways to interrupt and break that cycle of violence that flows from and probably shapes our most basic responses when we are angry, or when we feel thwarted, or when we're feeling particularly righteous, or when we're tempted to road rage and all its relatives. Last year, some of you may have seen the story about another group of mothers seeking to act for peace in Northern Ireland. This time, they were gathering themselves against a vigilante group called RAD, or Republican Action Against Drugs. And that group has now merged with one of the Republican armies. But what they did, were they were vigilantes. And they were trying to stop what they saw as drug crime. And they would do it with punishment shootings. That wasn't always literally a shooting. Sometimes they just broke people's kneecaps. And other times they bombed their houses or their businesses as punishment. And one day, they ordered some mothers to bring their sons to a public place where they were going to give punishment shootings. And these mothers said, no, enough already. This has got to stop. 
I suppose they thought violence would be redemptive, and the mothers said no. They formed a group called Move On, Mothers Opposing Violence Everywhere in Our Neighborhoods. Took them a while to come up with that one, I think. <laughs> but it was the kind of mothering that we can really celebrate on Mother's Day, the kind of mothering that teaches the way of peace in the face of violence, the kind of mothering that so many of you do so instinctively with your children in, in breaking those patterns and encouraging peace and encouraging every one of us to respond to grace when we can and respond in ways that are themselves graceful and which interrupt the cycle of violence and betray the myth of redemptive violence that shapes our most basic intuition responses to the world. We don't seek to escape from the realities of the world. Instead, we stay put, deciding to do what would, declining to do what would be expected of us and decide, choosing to interrupt that cycle, even and especially when we are feeling it ourselves. We don't stop driving because of the possibility of road rage, but we stay engaged, refusing to let our instincts take over. The gospel of peace is a hard gospel most of the time, but it is the way of life. It's the way of life for us. It's the way of life for others. It was the jailer who washed his prisoner's wounds once he realized that the cycle was interrupted by Paul's response to grace. As surely as anger begets anger and violence begets violence, so grace begets grace. It overflows for every one of us and for those around us. And so in our customary time of silence for prayer, I invite you to ask God that in the days to come you may recognize grace in your life in such a way that you may respond as a peacemaker, as a minister of grace in a broken and violent world, as a witness to the reasonable and holy hope that is in you. Grace begets grace. In silence and in response to the gospel, let us pray.